This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Henry Oil. Remember, call Henry Oil today, 401-521-0200, 401-521-0200 for Henry Oil. Always online at henryoil.com. Folks, they are full-service fuel co- company, 24-hour burner service for contracting regular customers, oil burner service and installation. They can do it all. Call Henry Oil today. They want to be your oil provider serving most of Rhode Island and most of Southeastern Mass. Call Henry Oil today at 401-521-0200, 401-521-0200. Reliable, affordable fuel oil delivery, always online at henryoil.com. Folks, it's time for This Week in Politics. We welcome Justin Katz, the managing editor for OceanStateCurrent.com. Good afternoon, Justin. Good afternoon, John. Great to join you today. Justin, I want to start off with uh, someone that, uh, I'm going to say it's a little bit inside baseball, but it's one of those things that I wish more people knew who this individual was uh, because you and I have tracked his career. Uh, he shows up all over the place. He just got a big promotion. Um, he is a professional organizer, uh, troublemaker, whatever you want to say. But I'm talking about the headline, NEA Rhode Island's Crowley now assumes the number two role at the Rhode Island AFL-CAO. So Patrick Crowley's been around for a long time, and both of us uh, can tell different stories, always up at the State House. And anytime, actually, there's something big with labor, um, uh, private sector, uh, excuse me, public sector unions going on, if, it's, if there's a firefighter battle, he's there. If there's teachers, there's there. If there's somehow there's a company and they feel they're not getting proper wages, he's there. If there's a town hall meeting or city meeting about a teacher contract or firefighters or whatever it may be, he is there. He was also in the elevator that time. Um, remember it was about over, I forget when exactly it was, over 10 years ago, there was an incident where John Breen, who was the rep for Winsaka, basically was being threatened by Crowley. And then there was like an enforcement forum. But what I want to ask you about is where he talks about right now, 19% of Rhode Island workers are unionized, and that's because of the public sector unions. And Crowley says, you know, I see no reason why we can't get to 25%. I'd like to hear your thoughts on all that. Well, I, the, one of the main reasons they might not be able to reach that, I would think, is Patrick Crowley. I and mean, as you say, he's he's not just at all these meetings, you know, offering support. He's a, an active participant. Uh, we've talked about how often in these meetings it becomes a big, uh, just a theatrical performance of people shouting, you know, you need to speak louder, you have to move the meeting, all that kind of stuff. That's him instigating that. I mean, he's, uh, he, he, one of his claims to fame is chasing Link Chafee around the state when he was a Republican uh, wearing a George Bush mask. Uh, every, every, just about every incident where the labor unions in Rhode Island don't look particularly good. He's willing to be the one out there doing that stuff. Uh, and so they, you know the organization by what they reward, and that's what they're rewarding. He's extremely radical uh, in his political and social views. He, he's one of the, a Saul Alinsky acolyte who believes that the ends always justify the means. He'll do anything to anybody, it seems like, uh, to get his, to advance whatever cause he's after. And so it reinforces that he's now climbing the ladder in the AFL-CIO. It reinforces that these organizations really see themselves more as radical political groups and they use member services as sort of how they get their money and how they uh, how they 
get some leverage and power. But I think that's what that should be one hindrance, especially now in, in the wake of uh, the Janus uh, Supreme Court case in which now public sector workers do not have to be in their join their labor unions. Um, it's kind of it's it's kind of a brazen thing in my view for the labor unions to be putting somebody like Crowley in such a prominent position uh, in in that environment, and it, it shows you their confidence in the power that they wield in this state. That's an excellent point, uh, Justin Katz. And not only that, this is someone that, and again, I recognize a lot of people won't know who this individual is, but they go to all kinds of training. If you listen to what they believe, uh, Saul Lewinsky's a pretty good example. He basically, Crowley, it is solidarity. It is, he is, they're beyond Bernie Sanders. I mean, this is communism, socialism, ends justify the means. Uh, you can go through the list and the litany of things they've done with a, uh, NEA Rhode Island. He's the, the man on the ground. Uh, there's no stunt that they won't pull from following someone out to their car to that situation where they basically uh, he and John Lidecker, they were bullying that Doug Jablinski uh, many several years ago. Uh, they are boots on the ground. If there's any type of teacher strike. Now, again, this is NEA Rhode Island and now it's AFL-CIO too. He's going to be the right hand man to to um, to to. Um, George Nee, who's who's very, very powerful. But Justin, you're exactly right. He is what they have to understand is so many times they view a school committee, a city council. They, they view it as like you are outmanned. You know, they, they go to classes on disruption and how to get your talking points and, you know, through the whole thing. And he was involved when they fired the teachers in Central Falls. And, and now it's a different labor union with the American Federation of Teachers in Providence, because that's going to be a big battle. But um, but as far as Crowley, just that attitude, Justin Katz, as as most of the country. Now, again, I, I'm not talking about, um, you know, regular uh, private sector. There are unions and so forth. This is they throw their weight around. If you're a business and so many business people, Justin, have told me this. As soon as if you start to grow a business in Rhode Island, 300 jobs, 400 jobs, when you get up around there, George Nee comes knocking at the door. And, and it is it is the life you knew is over because then you start going higher. They want in. They want in. They'll threaten to unionize your workers. They will. Um, and Crowley also, Justin, I mean, he was the one up there leading the fight as far as the forever contracts. Uh, I'm sure he was, you know, in quote, solidarity with the, the firefighters, with that whole still ridiculousness over 40, 42 hours. But um, this you're exactly right. This is significant that he's being promoted to to knees number two person, his number one person, right. actually. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a, a, a big signal. And as uh, he's he's involved, you, I mean, you mentioned Lidecker and the other one who chased John Green into the elevator. I'm forgetting his name as well. But I mean, I, I, some years ago, I went to a, a lecture at, by Ed Acorn, who was at that time uh, deputy editor of the opinion pages of the Province Journal. It was just a talk at the Barrington Library of Ed Acorn, I think about his book or some something, you know, kind of benign. These guys are there to disrupt, to embarrass him. Th that's what they'll do. Yep. They'll chase people in elevators. The, one of them actually put up a well, I was a carpenter at the time writing on Anchor Rising, and one of them actually put up a website dedicated to disproving that I was actually a carpenter. It was, it was, it's just bizarre, but this is what they'll do. And as you say, the, if there's a business, they'll show up and this, this is the treatment you can expect. They'll inflate 20 foot inflatable rats outside That's your right. business. 
Uh, I mean, it's it's a it's kind of an extortion racket in in some regards. And uh, what really struck me about the announcement of this in the Providence Journal, well, first of all, I always wonder why the Providence Journal reporters don't feel like they have to disclose that they're in the AFL-CIO when they're writing about this. Sure. Uh, but when he when they write about Pat Crowley, it, the language is amazing to me. It's, it's Crowley has dedicated 25 years to the labor movement. Dedicated 25 years to the labor movement. I mean, I, I was trying to think, what if what if I got some kind of a promotion? Would it be Justin has dedicated 15 years to the freedom movement in Rhode Island? No, it wouldn't be anything. <laughs> he, he's like a that. professional it, heckler. I mean, this is like yeah. someone who, uh, you know, he's dedicated how many years to going to Fenway Park and booing the opposing team by sitting outside their <laughs> dunk. I mean, that's what he does. I remember, and I forget his name as well. It was this big guy, Lou. He ended up getting arrested and had to step down. He was, a, I think he was a, a custodial person, janitor, whatever we would say, at CCRI. But he was also secretary of NEA Rhode Island. And they would go to meetings. And he was the one that said, you know, when East Greenwich was having a meeting, you rich people with your yachts. And they do that type of thing. And then they were threatening Green in the elevator. And then I remember Lou Rayon, that's his name, Lou Rayon, yep, yep. when um, one time when he was mayor, Mayor Laffey uh, decided he was going to walk the length of Park Avenue and he was going to greet whoever was there. And I forget exactly how long Park Avenue is. Let's just say it's six or seven miles from, it starts right at Sheridan Funeral Home, which is two streets over from where I grew up uh, in Edgewood. And then it goes all the way down Park Avenue, and you could stand out, and there's Mayor Laffey walking along. And let's just say it was seven miles long. I think he did it on a Sunday. Um, Lou Raynone, I don't know if Crowley was there, but just so people understand, he was secretary for the NEA Rhode Island. Do you know, Justin, he um, yelled. He followed Laffey the whole seven miles and was yelling, he's a liar, he's a liar, and yelling and heckling him the entire walk down Park Avenue. And, and he was in with, you know, he worked with Crowley. He worked with Lidecker. That's what they are. They're, they're professional hecklers and they teach people to do it. And, um, and I think, you know, this, this is, it is significant because this, this is not someone coming in. There's, there's no, what, what I also, uh, and we'll leave it at this, but Crowley to me, th- what people need to understand and they don't get it is it is, it is unreasonable demands. They, they don't negotiate. It is, it is their way or there's going to be hell to pay or you're going to have to pay a lot of legal fees and we're going to get a rally going and we're going to get a picket line or an informational line. It's really not a stretch. It, it is it's very, very intimidating, disrupting, and it's frightening to me. They seem to be getting stronger, not weaker. Yeah. And well, just to stress the point, I know you want to move on, but um, through in negotiations as a council member and in other dealings with people union members and, and their representatives, there are others in these organizations who actually believe, okay, we're going to negotiate, we're going to follow the rules, I'm just representing these people. There are people in these organizations. They're not the ones being promoted, apparently, and that ought to make every teacher, firefighter, cop, construction worker wonder if they really agree with you know the, the really far left and aggressive type of representation they're starting to get folks uh good afternoon it's john dipetro uh this portion of our program which i've now renamed again but it's politics this week and it's brought to you by west fountain auto body remember call them today if you're ever in an accident 272-3340 west fountain auto body 272-3340 we're speaking with justin katz managing editor for oceanstatecurrent.com justin i also like to um things continue now and um it's interesting the year 
truly did begin with word that this uh, audit that went down had been ordered by the speaker, the JCLS with the convention center. And, you know, first it was, oh, it's just financial, blah, blah, blah. He's doing the right thing. And then we heard, you know, some of the various people at the convention center. Then we heard about some of the uh, the speakers in a circle as far as Leo Skenyon and also Jim Demers himself was subpoenaed in front of the grand jury. And then Frank Montanaro and then the uh, Mattiello people went into overdrive. They were telling everyone, see, there's nothing here. The thing is disbanded. They didn't find anything. And then as a result of that, um, you know, the, the attorney general's office, they allow it to leak that, no, the grand jury's not done. And now they're going to have some of the people on the board, Patrick Butler, Bernie Bonanno, and then the person we just talked about. George Nee, and then also that Amanda Wilmoth, I found out. She's also been um, subpoenaed to testify. Uh, Justin, from, from what I understand at the State House, between the coronavirus and the Mattiello grand jury, uh, people that I talk to reps say they, they don't remember a session like this where it, it's so distracting. And granted, nothing, it's all allegations right now. It's just the grand jury um, process that's still continuing. But it did not wrap up quick and they were not the last ones to go and they didn't return with nothing. Um, I think Pina Narona is is demonstrating again. I mean, I, I hate to say it, Justin, it's almost like refreshing. He's actually following the rule of law and they are tracking everything down to get to the bottom of this whole thing. Yeah, it's it, one one thing in the new announced well the new people who are being interviewed I, I thought it was interesting that George Nee was on that list because he's not he hasn't been a a central part of the audit story uh, he did write a letter against the Providence Journal for for supporting an audit but it's not clear what role he would have played that would that would justify his being subpoenaed now it's possible there are more subpoenas that just haven't been leaked or nobody's found out about them yet uh, but it does create hope that uh, that the attorney general is just following leads and we could end up with more related but but different um, different revelations coming out from out of the convention center. That's, that's something I guess we, we can look, look forward to. Uh, and as to the atmosphere of the state house, you know, it's not surprising. And we discussed last week or the week before the, one of the, one of the great things about this is it's, it's providing something we lack in Rhode Island, which is a division among the powerful. I mean, that's one of the reasons you want a, a somewhat powerful, uh, opposition party so that there's always somebody with enough power to look at the other guy and try to expose their wrongdoing. Um, and we seem to have stumbled into that with all the, all the, I know a guy shenanigans at the convention center with Mattiello maybe overstepping his bounds, trying to protect his guy and, and George Nee and, and the rest of them firing back. Oh yeah. You're not going to come after our cash cow. And so that has created this tension. So I'm not surprised that legislators are feeling it. It's almost, it's almost like the, this, this great harmony where they were all on the same side, divvying up the state's jobs and money and influence is now threatened because a couple of the big boys disagreed on, on who ought to get how much of the pie. Uh, that, that really creates some excitement and some opportunity for, for others to capitalize on it, uh, whether the Republicans or, or others who might not be quite as inside as, as this team currently is. But so I, that, those are the developments we, we could hope for. Uh, and that's independent of any revelations the attorney general might come out. But I agree, I, I, under the prior attorney general, I don't think any of us would have, well, first of all, it's hard to believe it would have gone this far, but I don't think any of us would have 
had much con confidence at all that uh, under uh, Kilmartin, the, the threads would be followed and it would even be conceivable that the, the entire mess might be exposed. I completely agree. Now, as far as me, I think I can shed some light. From what I understand, he's just going to back up someone's testimony that uh, either they had someone on speakerphone or someone came in. And who did you tell that to? And then me is going to confirm he was in the room and that happened. What also is kind of highlighted here, and I've heard the same thing. And for those that have kind of followed the story is, so word was coming back uh, to the convention center. And, and I agree with everything you said about me and a favor factory and, and a, so many of those union jobs. And, and I am glad, I think it was the Providence Journal uh, flushed out the fact, I mean, that um, you know, knee has family members there. And then, uh, Paul McDonald has family members there. I mean, but notice like Mattiello never balked about that type of thing. But from what I understand, word was leaking back already that the threat had been made that if something happens to his friend, the security guy, Demers, that then there'd be consequences. And so the way it has explained to me and has been illustrated is they actually had to send, I mean, I, I jokingly say kind of Mattiello crime family, but Notice he doesn't pick up, he doesn't necessarily immediately get involved. I mean, he did with some stuff, but the way it's explained is they send Leo Skenyon, the chief of staff, and then the convention center, they send Patrick Butler. And they meet up at Federal Hill on the Friday night, and Skenyon reiterates that the speaker is firm, delivering the message, you know, almost like a captain. Uh, if, if, if this happens, th there's going to be consequences. You have to stop this suspension and then butler says they're not going to stop anything and then he relays that to the convention center and then on monday boom the audit is issued that that december 23rd so what i also it sheds some light on how you know un, i would like to think justin under a normal circumstance you'd almost think mario would say hold on like let me get the top person on the phone let me get demers on here like let's get to the bottom. instead there's these meetings and signals sent and there's going to be you know you better not and there's threats made and everything else i think what's unfortunate is that is very it, it's it's it shows you exactly how things operate over there like no one's ever on the line all the time like directing it it's all these and and this was part of the problem with with uh with the Pawsocks, right they could never get Pawsock said they never could get ramundo mattiello grabian and dominic regerio all in the same room it, it's like these different fiefdoms and then their couriers are going back and forth. Yeah. And, and to some extent it has to, from their perspective, I think it has to operate that way because so much of the actual, so much of what's actually being said is, is implied and has to be deniable. Uh, and that's how you get it. I mean, reading the accounts of, of Skenyon's meeting with Butler, uh, it, it makes you think of those, you know, an old, uh, Gangs, mobster movie. Yes, you know, the he Skenyon's there supposedly in this restaurant, hanging out, having multiple meetings. So he's he's camped out yeah. in the restaurant. People are coming to his table. Yeah. Here's the favor I need you to do for me. You know that kind of thing, and and so that it's just the image of it. It it really does go back to the whole crime town idea, and that the story of Rhode Island is that crime shifted sometime in the last half century from the mob to the government. Oh yeah, and so that's that's why you know they. You, you can't have Mattiello, Mattiello calling somebody up because then his fingerprints are on That's it. That's right. You know, and, and the only reason an audit is a really a threat, unless you're going to say, you know, uh, some, some time and inconvenience for a, 
quasi-public agency is a threat uh, is because there's everybody knows what's going on or that presumably everybody knows what's going on there. And so it, it is a threat to say, I'm going to audit you and we're actually going to expose some of your stuff. Uh, that that's, explains why I think the so much there's so much kind of audacity in the response from the convention center to, to absolutely refuse the audit, to call in the state police. Uh, I think that's that, that's where the story starts to seem like uh, Mattiello kind of overstepped right. uh, and, and threatened more than maybe he even knew. Yeah. And he, now here you go. Uh, you, you've got this all this turmoil over something that seems relatively, I don't know, at least the audit seems relatively minor it's not as if he was threatening to kill people or something like no, that so but at the same time from again my understanding is the type of audit that he ordered through this jcls would cost about fifty thousand dollars so there is a cost to it in this company uh asm that does it but what i understand well what i think what they're really getting at is going to be is his undoing is that what demurs behavior now the fact that they've subpoenaed this um, amanda wilmoth uh, the other woman that was let go of the convention center, that she's also been subpoenaed to the grand jury. Um, Demur's behavior, from what I understand, put them in a box where there was no other alternative other than termination. And Mattiello was still trying to stop that and telling them, like, I don't care what's the situation up there. I don't care what he did. I don't care if there's going to be a lawsuit. I don't care. You're not getting rid of that guy. And then that's where I think he's he's really, um, it, it, you know, has has stepped over and in trouble. But you're exactly right. Skenyon on a Friday night, you know, it's the, the Friday before Christmas. It is a little bit like, you know, in The Godfather, where they all line up, you know, the day of the wedding to kind of all go in and make their ask for for what it is that they're going to get. Folks, this portion of uh, politics this week is brought to you by Ryan's Appliance Repair. Remember, if your appliance is dying, just call Ryan. Ryan's Appliance Repair, 401-710-7096, 401-710-7096. Saturday appointments available. All work is guaranteed for 90 days, parts and labor. It's Ryan's Appliance Repair. We're speaking with Justin Katz, Managing Editor for OceanStateCurrent.com. So, Justin, um, as the uh, Governor Mundo, at first it seemed, hey, you know, she's taking a political gamble here. Uh, former Vice President Joe Biden didn't do well in in Iowa, and he didn't do great in New Hampshire, but right after Iowa is when Governor Mundo said, that's it. I know there are two women in the race, Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren, and, and I've been, uh, and once again, she announced her uh, essay, girls only essay, be governor of the day, but Governor Mundo said, nope, I'm going with Mike Bloomberg, and the debate came, and he bombed, and then he bombed again, and then he got crushed on Super Tuesday, and suddenly Governor Mundo has uh, said, you know, uh, He's just doing the math. But in hindsight, now I'm with Joe Biden. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Well, my thought mainly is that she does not come out looking very good, good at all. I mean, it, it kind of exposes her as, at least on a national stage, as something of a bit player uh, with really terrible political instincts. I mean, the the switch to Joe Biden was so quick. There was no coyness about, you know, trying to ne negotiate some kind of a, I don't, it sounds bad, but, you know, some kind of a, a payoff for her support, whether political or no kind of trying to pull him in any direction on any particular issues in order to earn her endorsement. It was just, boom, okay, now I'm, I'm with Joe. Uh, it was, it's very, I don't know, it, 
well, to have picked Mike Bloomberg in, a, in the first place was, was bad political judgment. And then to flip so quickly to Biden, it, it seems kind of desperate on her part, Agreed. which makes me wonder what what her endorsement actually means to anybody. I mean, it's, she, she has proven to be able to to raise money. Um, so that must be some benefit. But that could, you know, you start to wonder if, if that was a result of other people promoting her rather than some internal skill she happened to have. Sure. Uh, so, so now I, I, that, that's kind of my takeaway. I, I think the, she's, she's just trying to be a good party player. And as a term limited governor, that's not going to take her very far. There are a lot of, you know, dedicated party partisans who will do whatever the party tells them to do. Yeah. You know, what's funny about it. And you hit on something that's exactly right. Justin Katz. Uh, according to the story in the Providence Journal, Raimondo said she already reached out to the Biden campaign, offered to help any way she could, including raising money. Well, the whole attraction with the Bloomberg thing was it seemed like she was the first one in. And the, the biggest thing you get asked to do in these situations is raise money. And with Bloomberg, that you didn't even have to do that. I can tell you that they had big plans and she was going to travel the country. She was going to be a surrogate on television. She she did try to help him out when those uh, first the non-disclosure agreements were were coming out uh, for her to now shift support to Biden. I'll tell you, Justin, it is it is end of, you know, get to the back of the line. Now you're just trying to raise money like everybody else. There's no you know, she's not going to be on CNN or MSNBC as a surrogate. This it, it's interesting to me. This was um, there's a good lesson there. I was speaking with a high level Dem and said, this is another example. You wait to the first debate. If she had waited, there's no way she would have jumped on with Bloomberg because there was reason to wait. Biden had come in for her. Joe Biden, former Vice President Biden, he came into Rhode Island to help her with her whole roadworks thing. She easily could have told both camps, I'm going to sit on the sidelines and then kind of could have been welcomed by uh, Biden. But I, again, I just, um, I wonder sometimes she's in such a hurry to me to get out of here. And what's also interesting, and it's not getting as much play, but as soon as she did that, and they were touting how much money, Justin Katz, how much money Mike Bloomberg has, and, you know, $60 billion, and he's going to spend $2 billion, and he's the guy, and he's going to go up against Trump. It, it got such to a fever pitch. Some people were saying after this, she was then just going to go work with Bloomberg one way or the other. And then, you know, they're kind of hiding it. But Lieutenant Governor Dan McKee, who is the highest profile Biden supporter, but he actually had a fundraiser to announce he's running for governor already because they actually started thinking like, boy, a year from now, she's going to be gone. McKee will then become the governor to fill out the term. I mean, talk about these people were so far out on their skis. My goodness. But for someone that's been to me pretty shrewd and she's five and oh um, and she's played it straight up, actually six and oh with the national. I don't know if that counts. But anyhow, um, I don't care how they try to spin it. And they were trying to spin it to say, well, she may still end up getting, you know, Mike Bloomberg to do something for Rhode Island. If Michael Bloomberg was going to do anything for Rhode Island, I, I think there was certainly an opportunity since he's the past five years. He's no longer been the mayor of New York. Um, this was, to me, a real misstep by by Gina Raimondo. It was. I, and I can't help but think of things like the premature pulling of the trigger on, on UHIP. Uh, That's right. And, and other errors where her, her she seems to be insufficiently concerned about the, the downside risks of her quick decisions. Um, and I, uh, regarding her, you know, you, you tout how her, her record of being elected in Rhode Island. I was, I was giving some thought to that. And 
money because one of one of the one of the funnier take funnier online takes of the Bloomberg thing is we, we just spent three years hearing how Russia bought the U.S. election for a few hundred thousand dollars. And here Mike Bloomberg couldn't even get uh, get into the through, <laughs> through Super Tuesday with millions, That's right. uh, hundreds of millions. But so but in Rhode Island, her amounts of money that she can raise are can be decisive because you can do things, as we've discussed, like hiring people who are going to go out with the mail ballots and literally collect votes for you. That sort of on the ground stuff works in Rhode Island because it's relatively small. And if you can bring in all that money, you can you can get that going. Um, at the national level, I mean, his hundreds of millions couldn't couldn't do it for him. So I, I don't know how much she would have been able to contribute um, to to fundraising for that. But not only that, but I, I'm not sure what skill she actually has uh, in politics that's transferable to a national race right. where where well not only not only can't you can't you possibly collect enough people to go out and collect mail ballots to win the whole country it's just not doable on the, the nation as a whole uh but not only that but the the other side nationally has huge resources and is playing the same games and is putting up a strong fight in rhode island the other side's just been too beaten down to be able to do that yep. uh so i i and that, this probably goes for for just about anybody from Rhode Island who has national political ambitions. I, I just don't know that the political lessons of Rhode Island translate. I think you're right, Justin. And not only that, um, you you go back to as she just finished up her year as head of the National Democrat Governors Association. Her go-to company to fundraise was IGT and Don Schweitzer. And how much how how much were they guaranteeing her and how much were they stepping up to the plate because she was able to raise money for the national government, Democrat government association. She, she offered to give them a 20 year, no bid deal to, to get the state, you know, lottery contract. That's how much. And now she, you know, she can't go back to the well on that one because I mean, they're already so far in, uh, in on it folks. Um, good afternoon. It's John to speak. John DePietro. We're speaking with Justin Katz. Our segment is politics this week. Justin, I'd like you to touch on the, um, the second amendment, Whenever something uh, develops at the state house regarding the Second Amendment, it's something that to me always uh, bears paying attention to because the, Rhode Island is the second uh, safest state in the country when it comes to uh, firearms and, and gun safety and deaths of that. But boy, you'd never know it the way they talk at the state house. No, you wouldn't. And what made this hearing particularly interesting uh, was so it was a House Finance hearing, and they're talking about the tax proposal the governor wants to put a sales tax on memberships and gun clubs and, and shooting ranges. And uh, when House Minority Leader Blake, Republican Blake Filippi started to very, very cleverly and adeptly inquire, you know, what, what is it you're trying to do here? Are there, are there other club memberships that are subject to the sales tax? The, the governor's budget and tax team, especially uh, Paul Dion, who's the director of revenue analysis, just very openly said, oh, this is a policy decision. The governor thinks there should be less guns. And so if you tax it, it'll be more expensive and there will be fewer guns. And that's the governor's policy, which at the end of it, I think even uh, leader Filippi was, was kind of surprised because he thanked them for their honesty. But the, the point I made in an article on the Ocean State Current was this is infringement just because you're, you know, the, the constitution, the United States and the constitution of Rhode Island both say the right to bear arms will not be infringed. And here you've got the governor's revenue and policy people saying, 
yeah, we're imposing a tax in order to infringe on your rights. And that, that to me is a pretty shocking omission, uh, admission for them to make in, in a public forum like that. Um, and I, I, you also can't help but wonder why suddenly they understand economics when they want to, when they want to infringe on people's right to bear arms and they can't understand it with any other, anything else that they tax, which was Ken Block's, Ken Block was at that hearing as well because of the tax they want to put on new uh, software development services uh, and saying, well, how come you understand that taxing guns will have f fewer guns, but taxing business, you don't understand that'll kill businesses and jobs. And that's, that's the other part that, that was kind of worth, worth paying attention to in that hearing. But the idea that they would just come out and say, you know what, we're going to tax this because we want fewer guns. Uh, to me, that I kind of hope the tax goes through just so they open up a, a an avenue for a, a lawsuit to prove that taxation can be a, a policy to infringe on, on the right. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro show is brought to you by Kays. Remember, whether it's lunch, dinner, or drinks in the lounge, stop by Kays right on uh, Cass Avenue across from CVS. They're waiting for you. We're speaking with Justin Katz, managing editor for OceanStateCurrent.com. Our segment is politics this week. Justin, I also want to touch on um, – as much as, you know, when I, I saw this legislation and they want to once again raise the min minimum wage, I, I see that as problematic in two different areas. Number one, the, the state continues to be very unfriendly, unpopular with business, CNBC always towards the back. And number two, it, it's a false argument. No one is moving over the state line uh, or, or moving somewhere for a higher minimum wage. If anything, that is one area where... The state just continues to show they're not business friendly. And, and, and I, I just I get uncomfortable whenever I see something like that of raising the minimum wage. It does not help the business community in the state. Oh, not at all. Uh, the center a few years ago, we were talking with legislators to, you know, <laughs> kind of naively, I guess, trying to educate them about the, the consequences of raising the minimum wage. And a, a constant thing we heard was, we just want to be competitive with our neighbors. Well, you don't have to be competitive for workers. You have to be competitive for jobs. That's, and that's, that's where we need to be competitive. And having a lower minimum wage actually helps our employers. Uh, but what always, what strikes me in these conversations every time, when you, if, if we're concerned about, the wages workers are making, what you do is you make your workers more valuable so that they can demand more money. Uh, and one of the ways you do that is you have a very healthy economy with a lot of jobs. So the workers can say, you know what? I don't like the way you're running this grocery store. I'm going to go to the one down the street and they're going to pay me another dollar an hour. That's how you raise the minimum wage a dollar an hour because gov uh, there's so much business that businesses are trying to find people to, to do their work for them. But the problem with that is it, and this goes with education reform, every other reform we ever talk about, the problem with that is the insiders have their deals. And that is the thing that you cannot change. You cannot touch, sort of like the convention centers. You, you can't look in it. You can't, you can't change the way they do business. So we'll try to fix problems around the edges. And that's why education reform doesn't work. And that's why they keep trying to bump up the minimum wage uh, to try to help people or give people give voters and constituents a feeling that they're getting that they're doing better uh, in life even if you know some of them are going to lose their jobs because they get cut back or automated uh, but it's just a complete wrong mentality in this state and a few issues hit on as, as clearly as the minimum minimum wage you know justin um 
two other topics that uh, that are kind of on the burner that we're going to watch. One is continue to watch how the state is handling uh, the coronavirus. Now, this is something everyone has to. I thought it was interesting. Governor Mundo, when she did have a press conference, she begrudgingly even said she spoke to the vice president twice and he was very effective and and, uh, and reached out to her, which is the first time I've ever heard her give a compliment to the Trump administration. But the other story to um, to watch and both of them going to build and that's going to be the situation with uh, the Providence schools, because, um, you know, Dan McGowan's done some some good reporting on the back and forth with Randy Weingarten. And uh, and also things are starting to gear up in April of how they want to start to change things. I, I, I don't see in any way that that doesn't get ugly between the teachers union and the uh, American Federation of Teachers. And that McGowan story that he wrote with the, these texting back and forth between uh, the education commissioner, Afonte Green. Granted, she's got a new superintendent, but then uh, with, with Randy Weingarten, who, you know, think of this. I mean, talk about tone deaf. Comes into the state. You have one of the worst school districts in the country. 99 95% of the kids are not proficient uh, in English and math. And do they have a, all hands on deck, all hands in the middle? Let's rally, do what's right for the kids. No. What is the, the whole focal point of Randy um, Weingarten coming in from the American Federation of Teachers, the, she's the head of that union, is uh, talk to the community about collective bargaining. And by the way, to Afonte Green, we did a poll and we're very popular. And you're going to lose if you go up against us. Justin, it's just what you and I had been, I had been saying behind the scenes. They, they have no interest in, in trying to step up and give away any of the power that they have. Right. And that's one of the things that's we have to find hope in, in the negatives to some extent in Rhode Island. But one of the things that was, I think, very important about Dan McGowan's having gotten a hold of those texts from Infante Green and her having given him the text to begin with, we're, we're, I th- we're, much, we're getting to the point much more quickly where, where all of the chips have to go on the table and everybody can see the game for what it is. That could have been years, if years of, of the union and the commissioner trying to work back and back and forth. You're right. Actually what actually what it would have been would be the commissioner trying to get the union to work with her and they would be drawing her along on a string the whole time until finally she realized she couldn't do it anymore. So we're we're jumping into this quickly, uh, which is great because now she has she she can see the game clearly. She can approach the public with with a clear picture and, and an argument. And there's still a lot of running room between now and the next election for the unions to put in a governor who will fire her, which is basically what they did to, to Deborah Gist when she was trying to reform education in the state. So, so the fact that we're getting to that point so quickly is, is a hopeful situation. Uh, whether, whether the education commissioner is going to have the, uh, the, the heft or the pull to, to persuade the public to, to care and to change our ways, uh, that I'm, I'm not so sure. Whether she'll get support from the governor Raimondo, who's you know working with Randy Weingarten on this this holy grail of of defeating President Trump uh, at the national level, whether she'll support uh, Infante Green in reforms, I don't know. Those are big variables, but but it really needs people talking about it and knowing about it and demanding some change because there there's a real opportunity here, folks. He is the managing editor, OceanStateCurrent.com. It's Justin Katz. Justin, great job. We'll talk to you again. This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Bethel Softwash. Now, listen, this time of year, obviously the weather's getting warmer. You're spending more time outside. So, And then, you know, when you're outside, you're outside surfaces. I'm sure you start to see 
some uh, some green algae and mildew. The question is, are you just going to leave it there or are you going to get rid of it? Now, if you go to the Facebook page and it's Bethel Softwash, B-E-T-H-E-L, Bethel Softwash, and Jared does such a tremendous job. They have a great Facebook page. It's Bethel Softwash, Softwash and Power Wash, residential commercial. You can text Jared at 617-2585, 617 617- 2585, but go to their uh, Facebook page, Bethel Softwash, and look at the before and after, and what a difference. And then you decide, you know, which which house do you want to be? Do you want to have your house look like the one that has the green algae and the, the mildew? Or look at the after. I mean, what a tremendous job he does. Bethel Certified Softwash. What a difference it's going to make. It'll uh, Talk about bringing appeal to your home. Get rid of that algae and mildew. It's tough to get rid of. But the thing about Jared, free day, same day text estimate, meaning take a picture of it, text him at 617-2585. 617-2585. I always say go, back, go to the Facebook page because then you can kind of remember it later. And I do share his page on my page. But soft washing, power washing, the highly trained team, Bethel Soft Wash, they're going to come out to your home and gently wash away all unwanted material such as algae and mildew and staining and dust and other debris. It's environmentally safe. Pressure or soft washing, that's going to get into those hard-to-reach cracks, crevices all around the house without removing any paint or siding, aesthetics. And remember, soft washing, what a difference it makes. It's the low-pressure system. Doesn't harm vinyl or roofs. Uh, just tremendous. Biodegradable. Uh, very, you know, plant-safe solutions. Low-pressure. Bethel Softwash. You can text Jared at 617-2585. 617-2585-401. Serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Your residential specialist. But I encourage you to go to his Facebook page. And then you can see the before and after. Well, folks, it's John DePietro. Now, remember, you can always email me. It's john at dipietro.com, john at dipietro.com, and follow me on Facebook and Twitter. But it all starts by, if you go to the website, dipietro.com, you can then, you know, you get all the links to exactly where you want to, where you want to go. So now, everyone, the big buzz, of course, remains the Speaker Mattiello, the Speaker Mattiello. Uh, grand jury that is going on right now. And as I've been saying from the beginning, and I was the first one to post it, if you go to my website, topetro.com, and maybe you're wondering, you know, what's this all about, this whole thing, you'll see the grand jury target is House Speaker Nick Mattiello, and I lay out getting information. It is um, Chapter 11-42, Threats and Extortion, and Chapter 11-42-2, Extortion and Blackmail. That is... <clears throat> that is what they're looking at for criminal offense. And when you think about it, what I have zeroed in on, and for those of you who listen to the program know, we've had extensive coverage of this. I've, you know, we have our uh, legal expert. I think he's one of the best in Rhode Island, attorney Tim Dodd. And we've talked about um, everything that's involved in this. But you go to the part where it says intent to compel the, any person to do any act against his or her will or prohibit someone from carrying out a duty imposed by law. I believe that's what it comes down to. And what you have to recognize is, here's where this gets interesting. And the, the Providence Journal, to me, they have been on the wrong side of this. Uh, anyone that knows the way that Mattiello, Speaker Mattiello, the way he deals, the way he uses his henchmen, 
Uh, and that's what they are, right? Uh, Frank Montanaro, he's not, he's not a seasoned executive. That guy, that, that is a joke. Frank Montanaro is in charge of a $46 million a year budget. He, he couldn't run a two-car funeral. He can't put string two sentences together. And I want to stress, he is in charge of an unaccountable $46 million JCL budget. It is absolutely a criminal enterprise what these guys, these guys have been getting away with. And Mattiello's chief of staff, Leo Skenyon, you know, some of his actions. What, what is this? He goes, apparently, he goes, well, I meant he went uh, to meet with someone from the convention center. And they're saying, you know, listen, the jig is up. Demers, and this is what's been reported, and I have learned this, by the way, firsthand from individuals, where, uh, you know, the actions, supposedly this was an internal matter, and Speaker Mattiello had, it doesn't matter it was his buddy, and it doesn't even matter to me that apparently his buddy maybe even misled him on what was going on. What this is about is the Convention Center Authority, and more importantly, and this isn't highlighted enough, it's that there's a private company that runs this, ASM, and they determined, hey, listen, we're getting rid of this guy. It doesn't matter he's politically connected, this Jim Demers. It doesn't matter that John Harwood's the one that got him there anyway. It's obviously irrelevant that he's a former captain of the Rhode Island State Police based on his actions of the text messages that they were in possession of, the emails that they were in possession of, Forget it. We're not keeping this guy employed and we're, you know, suspending him and then we're going to terminate him. And and apparently what's been reported is Mattiello sent his little goon chief of staff, Leo Skenyon, saying, no, you can't do that. If you do that. And I was the first one that said that famous line, which was intimating, we're going to stick an enema up your behind uh, in the form of an audit. And this was them interfering. And, and I can't stress this enough. Because uh, the Providence Journal, especially their editorial page, they have been adamant about saying, oh, you know, this is just, you know, uh, th- this is a company and what's going on over there and quasi-public. Hey, listen, you still have a private company that's operating and running the Dunkin' Donuts Center and also running the convention center. And who do these guys think they are? Now, I've heard from a number of different people that Matty Yellow, but go right to DePetro.com. And right to, you know, Mattiello, he didn't know what was going on and Demers misled him. Ignorance is not a defense. Ignorance is not a defense of the law. Mattiello stepped in. I don't care what my buddy did. You're not getting rid of him. If you do, there's going to be consequences. Now, how do you not argue? I, I believe, and I've been, you know, very consistent on this. I believe that they have him. And I believe, in, and it is not an accident that U.S. Attorney Peter Narona has put his two of his top people on this whole thing. And when you look at the intent to compel anyone to do anything against his or her will or stop one, someone from carrying out a duty imposed by law, I believe both of those apply. And I believe, as I've been telling you, um, I don't see how you come out of this any other way other than he overstepped his bounds, abusing his office. And by all accounts, I believe they also believe he's going to get indicted. He's obviously been weakened here. Folks, you can't have the Speaker of the House under a cloud of suspicion. You know, as they say, it's bad for business, and it is bad for business for what this does because the state can't function that way. You deserve better. I deserve better. 
So, but keep in mind, I think the real question here is what did Skenyon and Montanaro, because there's been discrepancies. I mean, I had someone insisting they had taken the fifth. And then uh, this other person said, well, one of them did and the other one did not. So I, I don't know how much they went in. They certainly didn't expect to have this Amanda Wilmoth, who she's been subpoenaed to the grand jury. And they certainly didn't expect to have members of the convention center of having them suddenly having to get up there and also uh, say what, you know, what they know. So I've been saying all along, this is a criminal enterprise. The guy doesn't belong there. You know, how much more has to happen between the doctor and the, the election, the 2016 election still, you know, there's going to be a trial for that, a money laundering, a money laundering. That was a fraudulent election. It is one thing after another with these guys. And this time though, I think they've really uh, stepped in it. This portion of the John DePietro show is brought to you by Ron's Pastry Gourmet. Stop in and see them. They have everything. They have Zeppelas. They have the most delicious cookies and pastry. And try the chocolate-covered donuts and delicious cannolis. St. Patrick's Day is here. Go to their Facebook page, Ron's Pastry Gourmet, and you'll also see the delicious Trump pastry. Remember, everything is fresh. Ron is so talented. 55 years He's been creating magic. Ron's Pastry Gourmet. Now, they're located, easy to get to, 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence. It's right off of Silver Spring Street. It's next to AAA in Providence, right off of Branch Avenue. The easiest thing I suggest is go to their Facebook page, Ron's Pastry Gourmet, and then you can see the directions. You can see the hours that they're open. But again, St. Patrick's Day, they have delicious pastry for that. They have the famous Trump Pastry you're going to love it. The Make America Great Again brownies, the cakes, the cannolis, uh, the zapolas. Everything is there. Ron's Pastry Gourmet making pastry great again. Stop it and see Ron and Melissa. It's John DePietro. This is the John DePietro Show. So, uh, you know, I, I think from what we understand with Mattiello, the speaker, and how about the whole thing of, you know, statehouse mold removal cost $13,000. That was the beginning. Completely unnecessary. They were ripping everything out. And they did that because they were moving files from that JCLS office. And we don't even know what's been moved, right? I mean, this is down the line. and But that was the first indication that they knew it was serious. And as soon as there was win, there was going to be a grand jury. They went to work. From what I've been told, they went in, they took out what they needed to. Now they just needed plausible deniability, meaning... You know, you get rid of some records and files and uh, computer disks, but then how do you say, oh, we don't know where it is? Well, they tore up the office. They pretended there was black mold, complete lie. And they all lied on that, by the way. Larry Berman lied and Montanaro lied and Skenyon obviously lied. They all lied. And, Ma and, and Mattiello, they, they were all lying. And they went in. They, there was no black mold there. There was no reason to, to empty that stuff out and throw it in the dumpster. They made that up because now there's going to be all the things in the office had to be cleared out. You mark my words. They'll down the line, there'll be this controversy of what happened to, you know, the files and the computer disks and everything else from that JCLS and a lot of other records. You know, they can't even, the Providence Journal, they can't even find the, the files or the, uh, when, when the last time they had a meeting this JCLS. And again, I know it's inside. This is the budget that controls the state house. 
Under Mattiello, it's gone from $33 million to $46 million, up to $50 million. They're on a spending spree. They give people's raises. They throw around money left and right. There's no accountability for it. There's no one looking into it. There's no line item with this type of stuff. That's how they were hiding the $1 million to that doctor on Park Avenue in Cranston. But Statehouse mold removal cost 13000 It was all completely unnecessary. There was no black mold ripping all that stuff up. That was just all part of their cover. They've been lying from the beginning. And Mattiello, but this time, you know, he's taken it a step too far. And I believe the real question here is going to be, what did uh, Frank Montanaro and Leo Skenyon, what did they tell the grand jury? And are they going to be recalled to the grand jury? That would also be the real test. Because I've, as I've said, I, I'm not sure. One person said they both took the fifth. Then they said, no, 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 just one of them took the fifth. So I, I'm not exactly sure. And you can go in and start answering questions and then take the fifth, um, as our legal expert Tim Dodd has told us about. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland. Do you need a plumber? Do you have a plumbing emergency? Call Quartz, Victor Quartz, C-O-R-T-S, Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland today, 401-714-8478, 401 401- 714-8478, Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland. Family-owned and operated over 20 years. Are you having a problem with your pipes or drain or any type of repair and maintenance? Well, you need a dependable plumber. Call Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland today, serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Victor Quartz Victor is so dependable, whether it's uh, for drains or repair and maintenance or something wrong with your pipes or all your plumbing needs, fully licensed and insured, uh, call Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland today, 401-714-8478. Family-run business over 20 years, Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland, 401-714-8478. It's John DePietro. Remember, now weekdays, we start at 11 and we go until 2. It's AM 1380. Visit the Facebook page, John DePietro Show. You can be part of our Facebook Live that we do. And I always tell people, now remember, go to the website, depetro.com, D-E-P-E-T-R-O.com. You can get in touch with me that way. You can read the independent report. And then we have all the links uh, to all our social media. And then remember, if you ever miss any portion of the show, you can always then listen to it uh, right at depetro.com under radio show. You can always go there and listen to the show live, but otherwise under radio show, you just click on that and listen to it. It's all at depetro.com.